Good morning. That was my lovely assistant, Vanna, bringing me a public service announcement. It's 2021, in case you didn't know. I'm going to leave this here for a little while, and then I'll move it out of the way. Are you ready for a bit better year? <laughs> you guys, I didn't coach you well enough. That's, you're supposed to give the most underwhelming, ah, a bit better. That doesn't sound too exciting. Don't really want to sign up for just a bit better. Uh, would be happy to do a lot better, a lot different, something like that, rather than just a bit better. Um, all of us are hoping that some things will get back to normal. I think some of us are hoping that uh, lots of things don't go back to what normal was, that we are actually ready for a new normal or the reset that is coming. Pastor Dwayne coined the phrase around here anyways, the glory of COVID. And so we think there's a lot of glorious things that are coming without uh, at all meaning to be trite for those that are striving, struggling, those who have lost businesses, lost loved ones. That's not meant to at all be trite, but it is meant to say that there is opportunity in this period of time to reevaluate how we do life. We are called to be living a satisfied life, a contented life. Are we going to be content with just a bit better year? Would we all be content and say we had a bit better year if we didn't have to wear masks? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you guys have more faith in you than I have in you with that statement for that one particular thing. Because... The truth is about me, and if some of you are honest, you might say about you, is that there was actually things to complain about before we ever had to wear masks. Did anybody ever complain before you had to wear a mask? Our complaining nature doesn't leave when there's something new to complain about. It just has a new home to attach itself to. So a lot of life has gotten a break in 2020 because it hasn't been complained about because 20 masks are taking it on the chin for everyone. So uh, we, we don't just want to have a bit better year because the little things that are a bit better aren't really going to get to the heart of it all. Are we going to say that our year is a bit better if we can finally go into other people's houses, if we can finally travel? There, those things are all valuable and valid, and I look forward to them as well. But if we think 2020 is going to be all that just because we get some of the old that back, I think we're going to be severely disappointed at the end of 2021 and we will have missed an opportunity the goal for 2021 is not to be a bit better or maybe not even to be a lot better than 2020 to to get in the mindset that the world has at this time of hey hey it's a new year better things ahead is not really it's kind of like a setup for a letdown we are to have a heavenly and earthly mindset so as we go into 2021 what has god made me his child for what am i saved from what is my purpose what are my priorities what are my perspectives as a child of god this year so that i can actually live close to him and have a taste of heaven on earth i say to you that you don't want a bit better year you actually want the year that god wants for you because his word says that he wants heaven on earth for you that he wants something new for you you see the Lord's Prayer isn't just a tradition that we say as believers. We actually want to mean it. And in there it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess who does God's will on earth? 
at home. Guess who's doing God's will on earth? We are doing God's will on earth as he gives us the power of his spirit. We are the ones to be bringing heaven to earth as we surrender and follow after him. We're not just supposed to be watching. We're supposed to be enjoying what's going on. Do we settle for a bit better year based on our own evaluations or on thoughts? Or are we going to settle in for the year God has for us? To follow him in obedience. So how can we have the year God wants us to have? Today, hopefully we're going to look at how we can switch our perspective from being this bit better perspective to what God is both inviting us into and leading us into in this switch and this shift. But first, before we do, I want to make a quick statement kind of surrounding that thing I just said about God doing a new thing. In Matthew chapter 2, we, we often preach a lot of Christmas messages around the nativity, and we don't spend a lot of time in that short piece in Matthew chapter 2 after Jesus is born, and we're not spending a lot of time there today, but I want to highlight it for a second. Matthew 2, this is verse 11. This, the wise men have come. They've talked to Herod. They, uh, Herod says, hey, come get me when you find Jesus because I want to worship him too, which he's lying about and wants to actually get rid of that future king. The wise men follow, follow the star, and they come to verse 11 here where it says, on coming to the house, they, the wise men, saw the child, his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Huh. Would you say or agree with me that God was doing a new thing or a promised thing when he sent the Messiah, Jesus, to be born? And there was a lot of excitement. Shepherds were having a party. Mary and Joseph were, were uh, having their baby that they had been waiting for and had been promised through the dreams that had come as the angel had said to them. Jesus was being worshipped by these wise men. These amazing gifts were brought to basically prophetic gifts, talking about the type of life Jesus was going to have. So God is doing a new thing. Mary and Joseph have these amazing people come to visit. He's doing a new thing, and guess what happens next? Joseph, take your family and run. They're coming for you. The new thing didn't lead to a happy dance. It led to a marathon run to get to Egypt. We, me growing up, camp and church, God's doing a new thing. When we talk about revival, we talk about God doing a new thing. Saved, healed, delivered. The problem with revival talk is that when we say God's doing a new thing, he's coming for our heart and he's wanting to, our flesh to die even more. And so a new thing isn't always a party. And so when we talk about a new year, we can get excited that God's going to bring fresh blessings. If I learn to talk in 2021, that'll be better. Fresh comfort, fresh blessings. It'll be exciting. It'll be all good in 2021. That's not what we're signed up for in being a follower of Jesus. He's coming to mature us as his child. See, God is doing a new thing. Scripture said it from centuries ago. DC Talk said it a few decades ago. 
And we're saying it today. However, not everything new that God does feels good or feels exciting. Does God cause brokenness and sick and deafness? Death? No, but he uses it for us to mature. We need a fresh perspective of the new thing. We need to grow up and mature, not be immature. Our immature faith says we want to treat God like Santa Claus. God, give me what I need, and Santa Claus bless me because I was on the good list this year, or I won't get it even though I'm asking because I actually believe I'm on the bad list and not good enough for you, God. That's not how God operates with us. If we believe in Santa Claus, often we go to the mall and smile and then put cookies by the tree on Christmas Eve. However, if we believe in Jesus, we show up at the foot of the cross and we surrender and then we carry the tree. We carry the cross. We're supposed to bear that burden. God is doing a new thing and our responsibility is to step into it no matter. All I'm trying to do is paint the picture that it may not just be roses and candy and feeling sweet all the time. The new thing may be convicting, may be changing, may be leading us to something else. I shared, I think, uh, the illustration a, a few months ago about the time I was in high school playing volleyball. Yes, I could actually jump in those days a little bit, but I only actually was able to jump after I got new shoes. The shoes I was were smooth on the bottom. So on a smooth gym court, you're kind of skating rather than moving. And our gym teacher was really athletic. He'd tell us to be on the, our toes and he'd have good shoes and he'd be moving this way and he'd be moving that way and pivoting, pivoting, pivoting. And then the day came that I bought real volleyball shoes and I was used to skating. I almost went forward onto my face when I was going that way because I was used to making more of a curve than a direct turn. <laughs> And uh, curves on the volleyball court aren't really that efficient. We got some volleyball players in this room that can tell me that. So I want us to think this year about God's word and his spirit giving us that traction to change directions. You see, there's sometimes, we talk a lot about it here, we're in the process. We're growing from immaturity to maturity. We're growing from child to adult in the faith. We are maturing and that's process and that's all good and dandy. But there's some things that we actually can and need and God is inviting us to and convicting us to to actually not go the long way and finally get to our destination in this over here. He's actually saying, hey, here's my word. Here's my spirit. I'm speaking to you now. Pivot. Obey and do what he's asking. And we do what he's asking us to do. And so we're in it for the long haul. But let us not give disobedience an excuse to hang around in our lives by simply saying, yeah, I'm going to get to that someday when he's speaking to us today. And if we can pivot, let's pivot and go a different direction. Amen? At home, I can't hear you. Amen at home? All right. One of the areas in our life that uh, I think if I was to use an example to say, What would be more than just a bit better year in 2021? I would say in 2020, there's some of us who were, myself included at times, we were stressed or stressed out. And stress is common to everyone. It's a part of life. But to no matter how you live it, we live in a broken world. We've got relationships. We've got work. We've got boss. We've got colleagues. We've got siblings. 
there's going to be stress comes through the brokenness. The question is, are we going to live stressed out by it? And I think the fact that we live stressed is an opportunity for us to mature and to become more like Jesus. How many of you would agree with me if I said, actually a far different way of being, having a bit better year, but rather having the year God has for us, would be not to live a stressed life, but a restful life. Amen? Amen. That it's, it actually doesn't matter if you have stress or not in your life, but your perspective and the way you live it is either stressed or restful no matter what's going on. And so I want to set us up. I'm not trying to be too cutesy or too psychological here, but join me for the ride for a moment. Somebody laughed. I appreciate that. <laughs> so let's say we start our year stressed. How can we go from being stressed to being restful? Well, the first thing we can do is drop a few things. And you see there in my word stressed, I think, oh, I was going to start with this. If you're at home, forgive me. When I brought this flip chart out today, where am I supposed to be looking? Because I don't want to look at the person that I'm about to throw under the bus. When I brought this flip chart out today and made all these beautiful graphics, somebody said, oh no, he's bringing out the flip chart. And I won't mention that person by name because I don't want to throw the piano player under the bus. But here we go. So what do we do? You want to go from stress to restful? You have to drop a few things. And we're going to talk about a few things we're going to drop. So I dropped a couple S's and Ed. Sorry, Ed. We need to add a few things. So I've added F, U, and L. I've added less than I dropped. Everybody catch that slight difference? You might have to drop more than you pick up. And then I had to rearrange a few things. And so I rearranged the letters, and we got restful. Everybody's going, ooh, ah, you can clap for the, for the impression. So there we go. We're dropping a few things, we're adding a few things, and we're rearranging a few things in order to have the type of year God wants for us. Ephesians chapter 4. This year we're... At the beginning of the year anyways, we're really trying to, or want to, did it in the email, going to mention it now, have you read through the Bible in a year? And there's lots of plans out there on the internet. If you need help, we've got some, some papers here that lay out how you can read through the Bible in a year. It takes about 20 minutes, I think, give or take, if you did that per day, and you can read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to read basically most of Ephesians chapter 4 as we talk about dropping, adding, and rearranging. Ephesians 4, chapter 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Jumping to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Let me just add an aside there for a moment. All those people, prophets, apostles, evangelists, preachers, and teachers, pastors and teachers, are meant to equip the bigger body of Christ, all of us here together, to do the work of the ministry. You haven't joined up to a body of Christ where you just show up, give a little cheer, maybe give some money, and then expect them to do all the work. You're actually paying us to make sure that we're getting everybody in this all together and giving money to the kingdom of God to do that. 
So we're to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. What happens to infants? They're tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. Paul is insisting that you must no longer live as Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking, the endlessness, the aimlessness, the purposelessness, the, the harm, actually, of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. God help us. That, how, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Here we go. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And our last few verses... Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I guess... We could just say amen there, and that's a pretty good sermon from Paul in and of itself. But it's not that good of a year for you yet that I would quit preaching early. What is Jesus teaching us through Paul? What's he, what are we being invited into? There's a plan God has for us. There's a way we are to live life, and we can commit. We can intentionally pivot into the plan that Jesus has for us. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, in verse 1, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. To live a life worthy of the calling you have received, that's a bit better than 2020. Hopefully in 2020 we were doing that, but there's a new year and a fresh call to live the life we're called to live. So the idea of moving from stressed to restful, I want to put out here. What are some things you could drop from your life. Think about it for a second. What could you drop from your life? 
that would help you move from being stressed to living a restful life, to living the life God's plan for you has. Well, you may be thinking about a lot of different things. Maybe you're having trouble thinking of any. At home, maybe you're thinking of those in the room with you and what they should be dropping because you've got it all pretty well together. Scripture says some of these things. Put off falsehood. Talked about anger. Don't let it rule you. Don't let it last. Talked about stealing. I think that includes when we do our taxes as well. Not just the extra 10 cents from the bill that we paid. Unwholesome talk. Verse 31 says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. There's a lot going on in there. That's kind of like a cesspool of ugliness when you talk about bitterness and anger and rage and brawling and slander. And so I'm going to take liberty here and throw one word at that sentence that I think can sum it up, or at least is part of it, would be offense. That we can drop all those things and that's good. And one of the things we need to drop this year is our ability to be offended. Are you offendable? Is it easy for you to be offended? I am way too easy to be offended. Way too offendable. Way too quickly to ascribe people to intent and motive to people's actions and make assumptions. They did that. I think they would only do that if they were meaning this. And therefore, because they mean that, I am personally offended and I shall now live justifiably offended until they recognize what I'm thinking and come and apologize. Doesn't really work out that well. You see, Jesus crucified his flesh on the cross for our payment of sins. He surrendered his rights. He stepped into pain. He stepped into suffering for us to have our flesh crucified. When our flesh gets crucified, it's going to be that we're surrendering it. It's going to feel painful. Unfortunately, it's not just like slipping off the ugly Halloween costume that we just kind of slip out of it. Boom, got rid of the old stuff, and here I am in the new stuff. Back to my normal self. No, there's a killing of our old flesh. But if we are unoffendable if we can't be offended easily we're actually become like a dead man walking i was going to try to make an illustration using zombies but i didn't know if i could get to the point good enough without everybody just thinking about zombies but when you think of a dead man walking they have no feeling and so somebody We don't want to be dead man in regards to the spiritual thing and things of god but in regards to the things of offense we want to be dead Because people have all sorts of issues. Somebody can be having a bad day. They're having their bad day. And because you're offendable, now you get to have a bad day too. Because something they never meant to do has now offended you. And now you're in the same rut as they are at that moment. This week was family car wash day on, on Monday. I remember family car wash day. We would go from Whitewood to Regina. And before we left Regina, without fail, and we went there quite often to visit my grandparents, you'd go, get to go through that. You don't see them very often anymore, but that car wash with the great big rags, it looked like you were, it was dark and there's water and there's foam. It's like a perfect monster show for five-year-old kids with your parents in the front seat as you drive through. And 
that's not what we got to do. My, me and my kids went and, and washed a vehicle. We got to wash. We got to wipe. We got to vacuum together. It made a dad's heart proud. Getting to work together as a team brought such joy. And then at the end, as we were leaving, and we actually were detailing a fairly big vehicle, and so we were in there for close to an hour and had spent $30 in loonies. That's a lot in a car wash. Everybody's saying, yo, whoa, you're not a very good car washer, are you, Dallas? So after spending $30 in that space and we're all loading in the vehicle, the owner comes in and he looks at our space, which we have everything hung up, everything the way I think it should be, but I'm not the owner, so I don't see some things. And he starts shaking his head and he's kind of muttering under his breath. At least I think I see his lips moving. I'm imagining a bunch of stuff, implying intent and motive to him because he's walking ahead. He's unspinning the brush and he's shaking his head and he's... We wrapped up the vacuum hose, but it wasn't tight enough, so he's shaking his head and wrapping up the vacuum hose. And so, with all the love of Christ, as he's walking by, I said, are you upset at me? Because <laughs> when I watched him do that after spending 30 bucks in his stall, I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I was just getting so offended that he was so offended with me. Luckily, it was noisy, and I had managed to control myself that my daughter said I didn't sound mad. So that was a relief because I didn't want to do that as I processed what was going on. But, but man, is anybody else at home, are you easily offendable like that? Anybody ever get under your skin? I'm not allowed to do altar calls and social distancing, but I've got about 97% liars in this room because nobody else is putting up their hand with me. That's relatively minor, but you take the ability to be offended and transfer that to your workplace, your home, your marriage, your school. How quickly we can live in offense. But if we actually became dead to offense, imagine, just take a moment and imagine, what will 2021 be like? Will it be a bit better if you're not offendable? Or will your days, will you have lots of days that are just, oh, I actually don't feel offended. I got my years a bunch better because I'm not spending a bunch of energy trying to be offended. I think if we deal offense and drop it out of our life, we will have a much better year. So how do we become dead to offense? We got to choose it, first of all, that we will not be offended, but because it is fun to gossip, it is fun to backbite, it feels good to have somebody to blame, we want to shift that anger towards someone. So we have to acknowledge when we, that we don't want to do it, we recognize when we are offended and we run to Jesus open rather than hide and nurture the pain. Oh, yeah, but I just spent $30 as if he can't roll up his own hose. Justify, justify, justify. Meanwhile, I'm filling up with pride. I'm, I'm dealing with some fear because, well, maybe he's mad at me. Maybe he won't ever let me in there before. When we come to Holy Spirit, he shows us our pride, our insecurity, our fear, our anger, our resentment. And if you don't want to be offended, let those things drop out of your life. Because Holy Spirit wants to take them for a ride to where they come from. Our reactions tell us about ourselves. My reaction in that car wash has absolutely nothing to do with the owner. His car wash, he can do whatever he wants. You unwrap a hose a hundred times a day, I guess you want to shake your head a couple times. What does that reaction in that car wash say? It says, proud Pastor Dallas. Little bit better. Thinks 30 bucks means that everybody should just 
do what he wants and not cause him to have any offense at all. No. We can overestimate the pain and the wrong that goes on in our world, but we can underestimate the power of God's love to heal us. If you struggle with being offended, there's a good chance that it's blown out of proportion to some degree. And if you bring it to Jesus, there's a greater chance that you will be surprised by how great his love is to heal you and to free you of being offended. My wife's saying amen. Are you saying amen at home? Anybody else? Guess not. What could you add to your life that would totally change your year? Scripture said this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. In verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you in verse 32. What are we to add to our life? What kind of year would you have if you added to your life in greater degree these things that Paul lists in Ephesians chapter 4? Humility, gentleness, patience, and ability to put up with each other. Not even love each other in that moment. Just bear with each other is the words Paul uses. God, help me put up with people better. Make um, every effort for unity New self to be our life in God, in righteousness, in holiness, to add kindness, compassion, to be forgiving. One other quick thing that I'm not talking about for long, but every effort for unity, we got to fight for unity. If unity was easy, everybody would have it. Every sports team would have it. Every town council would have it. Every government would have it. Every church should have it. But unity, even in church, takes work. It takes commitment. It takes the willingness to die to self, to approach and to deal with the issues so that we can walk together in unity. How would your life be transformed if you added those things? Only you can answer that question. But I want to focus for a second on what would your year be like if you added the ability to forgive without measure? What would your life be like this year? If you could forgive freely, I was convicted this week when I was reading Matthew chapter 6, and at the end of the Lord's Prayer, it says this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is not a fun scripture to start off the new year. That's direct. Do you know what I wished it said? For if you forgive other people when they apologize, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Guess what it doesn't say? It doesn't say anything about the other person and if they apologize or not in that moment. We are to be walking with an attitude of forgiveness. We are to be forgiving others before they even know they have wronged us if they have. That is a severely sobering statement. That I am to forgive. See, you can forgive without being reconciled. And you can forgive without promising to give your trust to that person again. All that stuff is how you would restore the relationship. 
Forgiving somebody doesn't mean the relationship is restored, but it'll be very hard to see a relationship restored if it doesn't begin with forgiveness. And if there's no restoration of the relationship and you still hang on to unforgiveness and don't forgive from the start, it will be very difficult for you to go through life without becoming toxic and bitter and resentful. We have to forgive. And so maybe you're like me and you say, yeah, but I just can't forgive. My mind hangs on to something. I don't know how to let go of it. What does it even mean to forgive? See, I know what that feels like. I also know what it's like to assume what people are doing right or wrong, and it can cause me to obsess. So here's a few things that I have learned, and there's way more to learn about forgiveness. But if you've been hurt, that's an owie. It may be a spiritual owie, a physical owie, an emotional owie. But to use language that everybody can understand, we've been hurt. It's an owie. We've got to run to Jesus and we cry just like little toddlers running to their parents. Daddy, I'm hurt. And we're crying. And we have to run to Jesus. And we have to acknowledge the offense, the pain. We need to acknowledge when our personal boundaries or moral or, or uh, right things have been crossed where sin has happened, where ethics have been breached. And we say, Jesus, this hurt. Jesus, that was wrong. That wasn't fair. The Psalms is full of it, of people talking to God about things that aren't fair. That's not just. I did all this and that happens to me. That's not fair. That's not fair. And we get to pour out our complaint to God in the offense and the pain. You see, we don't say that forgiveness is denying that it ever happened or that it wasn't that big of a deal. Somebody apologized to you? Oh, no big deal. No, big deal. You did something that hurt me. Forgiveness isn't able to happen because there's not much to forgive. Forgiveness happens because there is a choice to forgive. And it may seem small or it may seem large, but it's still a choice of letting someone off the hook, taking your hands off their throat when you could punish them and make them pay forever for what they did for you whether little or small. So we acknowledge, we don't deny, we don't minimize, we don't pretend that it didn't hurt. We address it with Jesus. And then we choose to forgive. Jesus, I choose to forgive. And then here's the mic drop. We ask Jesus to heal our heart. Because if that person never forgives, you can still have a whole heart. Pardon me, if that person never apologizes, never addresses anything, if they've already passed away, you can actually have a whole heart without the restoration of that relationship because Jesus heals our heart. And I've had it happen where my heart has been hurting with offense and I asked Jesus to heal me as I've forgiven that person and it's like day and night. I wish I could say it always happened day and night where it's like one step, whew, good to be out of that darkness. Now we just carry on. Sometimes it does feel like more of a journey. Okay, I forgive today, I forgive today, I forgive this week, I forgive this month and boom, then it finally releases but we keep asking Jesus to heal until it doesn't hurt. Folks, what would your life be like if you added forgiveness without measure to those in your life? It would be more than a bit better. And then finally, what could you rearrange that would totally change your year? What could you change that has total, would totally change your year? Verse 17 says this, 
So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Verse 18 and 19, Paul talks about the hardening of hearts and having lost all sensitivity. I am a dangerous person with a hard heart. And like it or not, so are you. When our hearts are hard, when we are not tender and soft towards the things of God and his people and the brokenness and lost state of the world around us, we start to become a steamroller rather, rather than gardeners caring for the fragile flowers in God's garden. We, we recognize everything is a nail and we're a hammer and we're going to get through this and we're going to make our way through. We need to rearrange our thinking. My heart can become hard, not just the Gentiles Paul was directly referring to. I can lose sensitivity. And what do I need to do? I need to change and rearrange my thinking. And the way I want you to rearrange your thinking, if you would join me this year, is just in the importance of the relationship with Jesus and the amount of time we need to spend with him to have him changing and filling us daily. We cannot get by with five or ten minutes of scripture. You cannot get by. You cannot get by with just an hour of church online or in a sanctuary. We need to be with Jesus. All this other stuff we do is meant to help that relationship. But as I heard this week, and I'm going to quote him again in a minute, I think it was Eric Gilmore said this, our public touches with God need to turn into private kisses. Our intimacy with Jesus cannot be nurtured and fulfilled just in the stuff we do as church body alone. We need to grow in relationship and intimacy with Jesus ourselves. Eric Gilmore also said this, if you are hard and cold-hearted, you can't chip yourself off enough to love, to be more like Jesus. You can't make yourself more loving by chipping off ice. Because what do you have? Sculptured ice. But he said, you can choose to look at the sun. And what does the sun do to ice? Melts it. Oh yeah, it melts it. You may be hard-hearted, you may be oversensitive, you may be undersensitive, you may be fearful about going into this year, but let me encourage you that if you will at least choose to look at Jesus, and you will choose to sit yourself down in his presence, and you would surrender to him, and you would soak, and when it feels like nothing happening, you would just stay there a bit longer, and then you would choose to do it again the next day, and you would say, just Jesus, come, Jesus, come, Jesus, open your word to me, teach me, that if you would put yourself in that place, he will melt the hardness of our heart. I grew up on a farm, and some of the beef that we raised is like super tender and super good, and some is a little more chewy, to say the least. A little tough. What do you do with the tough stuff, the hard stuff? You put it in marinade, and you let it soak, and you let it tenderize. Folks, the relationship you have right now with Jesus doesn't have to be just a little bit better next year. It can be transformed to the next level. I'm not saying it's bad now. I'm just saying there's more to come. That if we would allow him to do that in our lives. The worship team is coming. 
We want to choose to be with him. This, and so we do that and want to encourage you to be reading through the word, spending time with him. And next week, beginning on the 10th, Noah is going to be preaching on prayer and fasting to kick off our, our week. But we are going to set some time aside at the beginning of this year and want to encourage you to even pray in this week. What would he have you set aside? What to cut out for a week? How are you going to pray? How are you going to engage extra time, extra time with Jesus, extra time with the community of God to pray together? We're going to have the team lead us and then we'll come back to close. Actually, I'm going to close in prayer and then come back with announcements. Let's do that. So would you bow your heads with me for a moment? And if anything at all, whether in this room or wherever you're watching from, would you just, if anything at all spoke to you or you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, would you just place your hands in an open manner on your lap or out in front of you as a sign of surrender? And so we say, Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, this year, we don't want a bit better year by just trying a little bit harder to follow you. We want you to sweep in and to cleanse us and to change us and to transform us for the year that you have in close intimacy and walk with you. And so God, the stuff of the world, our old patterns and our old self that needs to drop off, God, thank you that you don't overwhelm us, but that you just speak to us about the area that needs to go next. And so I pray for each one under the sound of my voice that that would fall off as they surrender it to you. God, help us to be a people that are not offended and less offendable and that we would be quick to move forward to make it right when we do. Change us. God, for the things we need to add, the things of your spirit, we pray that we would be teachable and moldable and we would be able to receive what you have for us. And God, make us forgiving people that we would be quick to forgive. Jesus, you said to Judas, do what you do quickly. You embraced him when he was kissing you with the kiss of death. God, I don't know if I can be that, but I'm, I'm willing for you to put your spirit in me so that I can be way more forgiving, way more approachable. God, for the things you want to rearrange in my life, and we think specifically of our time and focus of relationship with you. God, help us not to get by with just a little bit of time stuck on one part of our day, the beginning or the end but help us to marinate in your presence that we would become more and more of you and, and your very flavor would penetrate our very being and we would not be able to be mistaken for anyone except your child this year. In Jesus' name.